Hello, and thank you for tuning in. You are listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. You can listen and subscribe to the show for free on Spotify, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Blog Talk Radio, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. For network or show information, visit FightRadio.me. And now, the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Good day, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Today, our special guest joining us from Italy is Robert Party, and we will be talking about possibility in action. The truth is, you can rewrite your story whenever you want and become the main character of your life through the experience of self-discovery. It just requires you to stop rereading your current chapter and turn the page. It all starts with understanding yourself and how you think. In other words, it starts with awareness and perspective because you and only you can change your life. Only you can change how you think, how you feel, and how you live. As a well-rounded life coach, business professional, team leader, Robert brings a vast skill set woven from personal experiences, intuition, empathy, mentoring, coaching, teaching, creativity, functional operational expertise, financial acumen, problem solving, strategic thinking, and an entrepreneurial mindset focused on the cost-benefit ratio of actions. For more information, you can visit his website, which is www.robertparty.com. That's Robert, P-A-R-D-I dot com. Now, I'd like to welcome Rob to So Good Day, Bob. And thank you very much for having me. It is my pleasure. I'm looking forward to our conversation because, boy, <laughs> there's a, a lot of uh, people out there who you know, would love to be able to change the, the course of their life. And, and I like your your approach to helping others. So um, let's first start with, um, you know, when we first connected on LinkedIn, you had sent me a link to information about um, a story about your wife. And it was very moving. And, and, and I know that that, plays into the idea of um, possibility in action. So would you mind just sharing with the listeners a little bit about that story? Oh, I I wouldn't mind at all. It's any time I get to talk about my wife is a joy for me. So, you know, I met an amazing woman when I was 17, when I was 19, she was 17, and basically it was just sort of, you know, we were joined at the hip, and we got married very, very young, but at the height of our everything, the, our whole world sort of just fell apart. She was just about to turn 31. She was just finishing the PhD portion of an MD-PhD, and she was diagnosed with late-stage breast cancer. And so, as, as you or people may have intuited from my my bio, right? I come from a finance background. So before becoming a life coach, I was an investment banker. A whole long story as to why I chose that road. But I actually at some point in time wound up leaving my job, not necessarily to care for her, but because she asked me to be the buffer between her and the doctors so she could pursue her career to become a doctor. And she actually became the founding director of palliative care at New York Hospital while having metastatic breast cancer. And in that role, I technically wasn't a caregiver because she was very self-sufficient, but I wound up being her life coach. And so that's how I transitioned because what I realized is I enjoyed supporting her. And when she passed away, one of the things that that occurs, of course, in grief is we also have to grieve the person we lost in ourselves because our whole story, and that's why I talk a lot about stories, our whole story has shifted. 
And so, therefore, we have to let go of expectations and the things we thought would be, but we have to figure out what it was in the past that we really enjoyed. And so, that was sort of the transition into possibility and action because it's it really is about intentional living. And to give your, your listeners some, some background, just because I think it's rather important, so I... Um, grew up as the son of an abusive alcoholic father. And that childhood, I have to say, I'm very thankful for because it gave me the skill set from a very young age to understand uncertainty, to understand resilience and grit while I didn't have those words. And so I was able to draw upon those when I needed to show up and, and support my wife towards the end of hers. Her life, and the interesting thing in all of that is, there was always that intentionality woven through it. But it has to be really deliberate action. You have to be in control of the action. That's again, when you were reading the the, the bio, it's all about our story. We talk ourselves into being actually, and so therefore we then have to just think about the narrative we're using. Yeah, um, it's one of the things that, um, you know, as I was going through and reading, you know, you talked about that living consciously, you know, versus the um, automatic thinking. Um, when, when we, well, how can one um, identify or how is it possible to bring those actions that are automatic in, into focus? I mean, you know, because because they're automatic, sometimes we, you know that whole idea is really not to you know not to pay attention. I mean, in a way, just a, you know, you know, stimulus response kind of thing. Um, so, in your work, how um, what what are ways people can employ to shake it up, you know, to be able to, you know, make it, a, uh, bring it to consciousness? That is an excellent question. And so exactly what you were talking about in terms of, you know, the, the autopilot programming, um, and and we need it. You know, our, our minds are actually constructed so we can have autopilot. Imagine if you had to think every day how to tie your shoes if you had to think about, you know, how to turn on the shower. So those are things that eventually become habit. But really the the beginning point is a lot of times people have a feeling of dissatisfaction with life or there is a question that is is that all there is to life or shouldn't there be more? There's this discomfort in a way. And so that is the moment where you have to start to think, okay, well, and I, I, I'll walk you through some tools, but the first step in awareness is realizing that you are feeling unfulfilled. And when you look at, okay, I'm feeling unfulfilled, and a lot of people, like when people used to talk to me, it was almost, okay, you just lost your wife, so of course, of course you have a reason to be unfulfilled. But really, it was also, now, I didn't have the normal grieving process because of also my wife's, my wife's work and because of what I knew. Um, I knew that it was inevitable. Uh, I learned a lot about impermanence. But if, if we circle back to the feeling of, of discomfort, the questions you need to start asking yourself, and, and I'm a big believer in journaling, and I know a lot of people sort of, let's say, poo-poo on that because... Um, it's a slow process, right? You're, you're not going to just journal one day and all your answers are going to be resolved or all your questions. And the other thing as well is, anyone that's listening to this, this concept, whether it's possibly in action, whether it's intentional living, whether it's whatever it is, it is a process that never ends. We are constantly becoming. And in the becoming, we're also constantly unbecoming something. And so there's always this evolution. And so if you have that discomfort, 
the first question to ask yourself is, how am I playing a role in this? Because a lot of times there's avoidance. And interestingly, you know, I was brought up a Roman Catholic, but I, I think of myself as more, let's say, spiritual, and I study a lot of different religions and so forth. And, you know, Buddhism talks a lot about the, the two main drivers of discomfort or dissatisfaction with life, and that's attachment or that is avoidance. And those are things we tell ourselves if we're walking through our life trying to avoid something bad or trying to hold on to something good, that right there has framed the way we approach everything. And so one of the things is to start to journal. The second thing is also looking at not through comparison, which is unfortunately we live in a world today which with Instagram and Facebook and everything else, everyone compares the, themselves to these lives and everyone going on vacation and so forth. Um, I was I was blessed to have had a grandmother that taught me at a very young age, and it was actually my, my father's mom, to seek out people that I admired. So the next thing to think about is if you look at people you admire, you look at their behaviors and your behaviors because our behaviors are actually under our control. We just have to learn how to augment them or change them or what, whatever word you want to use there. So if you're looking at someone you admire and you see that they are embracing a challenge, let's say, um, as an opportunity for growth, you can then look at your, your behavior and say, wow, I always, there's a habitual behavior, I always try to push the challenge away or I always get overwhelmed by a challenge. And right there you're starting to see, hmm, okay, that always is a program. It's a habitual story I'm telling myself. So then it works towards trying to understand actually how to rewrite that. There's a, there's a long process in that. You know, as as an example for me, right, I am a Columbia, Columbia MBA graduate. And the funny thing is, when I left everything to move to Italy, you know, everyone thinks investment banker, oh, he probably, you know, he was in finance, he probably had a lot of money. Well, no, my wife didn't have life insurance, and she dealt with metastatic breast cancer for 11 years, and I can tell you there was no money left. So I was teaching English for $8 an hour when I moved to Rome just to make ends meet while I was doing my coaching certification. And there were two ways to approach that, right? There was, there was the way to approach it as, ah, I can't stand this. This is horrible. Look at what, what has happened to my life, my, wife, my life since my wife died, and um, this is not fair. Or I could have, which is what I did, I looked at it as, wow, look at what I'm willing to do to create a new life. Um, look, look at the investments, not the sacrifices I'm making. And that is, again, that required a conscious shift in thinking. You know, if when my wife and I were, were young, we had no money <laughs> because, you know, she wanted to go to medical school. I was doing an MBA. It was just, a, a, you know, a big mess of bills. And there was a very long period of time I would eat peanut butter and honey sandwich for dinner. And also to make sure that she had proper food. And, you know, that again was an investment. It wasn't a sacrifice because we were building a life. So once you recognize where you're saying always, or you look at your, your behaviors or your emotions of when things show up in your life, that emotional reaction actually is a habit. I mean, our emotions really are nothing more than chemical responses that have been recorded in a brain, just like memories. Memories are not something physical in some sort of file in our brain. It's a bunch of chemicals <laughs> that are connected to that idea, right? So that tells us that, oh, okay, so this has all been programmed in a big computer. Our body reacts to the program, or maybe it's our mind acting to our body. There's a, there's a lot around that. But now I can say, no, I'm going to step in, and this is very small actions, these are habit shifts, so it's actually like if you want to stop smoking, you know, it's a tough habit to break, and you have to do it in a very dedicated way, a very determined way, and not jumping at things all at once. 
So you start these small behaviors, and these behavioral shifts then change it. But it's that idea of when you start looking at how you show up in certain situations, do, do you get nervous, panicked, overwhelmed? Well, we're not born with our personality. We're not born – I was just talking to um, a client about this, that she was explaining to me um, – you know, I, I've had social anxiety forever. And I was like, well, do you think you were born socially anxious? And she's like, no. And so then I, we went through the process of, so this was something that was installed for whatever reason. And I'm, my philosophy is more, and, and I joke about this, let's just blame our parents, but I don't mean it that <laughs> way. But it, we, we, could, mm-hmm. we could do an archaeological dig forever trying to figure out why we're socially anxious. I'm on the other side of the camp that says, let's acknowledge that, let's recognize it, let's see what triggers it, and then let's create new triggers to be the person you want to be. You can't remove a habit without installing a new habit almost. So that is is where the, where the change starts to, to go through. It's like a lot of people that say, oh, you know, as I started stopping smoking, I started eating a lot of chocolate, I did this or I did that. A lot of that is just the habitual need to have, you know, something in your fingers, something in your mouth. So, um, and you're, you are changing your habit, of course, but you're installing a new habit, and a lot of times for some people that's, you know, candy or something like that. But that's a very long way, roundabout way to explain to you that, to me, the first thing is really just to almost do an inventory of your your day. Um, you're feeling this, this dissatisfaction. Where does that show up? You know, it's almost like in, if you were to look at your calendar and do an energy audit and say, oh, you know what? When I do these things, I feel really, really down. Okay, well, then those things, what, what is the story connected to those things? Because that story is a habitual pattern that has taken place with that type of trigger. And then how do we change that? Well, yeah, so and there is a lot <laughs> to unpack there. Um, and so with the um, – that starting with that discomfort, the idea of there is something that is just um, – something that is, that is happening, my – reaction, my emotional reaction, you know, is um, something that doesn't make me happy, doesn't make me, you know, feel positive in a way, you know, but doesn't make me feel comfortable. Um, so when I recognize that, um, then is the, um, you know, kind of working back to try and discover you know, that source of discomfort, how how that discomfort was um, instilled, you know, and, and, you know, you mentioned, you know, the idea of kind of going back. Um, Is it, is it more important to um, determine the source of, of where it started or should one focus on just, like you said, recognizing that it exists and then try and, not try, but, but work toward um, substituting the, um, an alternative, you know, that can um, help, you know, reprogram one's, you know, t- to, to be comfortable. So, I mean, or, or, or is it necessary to have that source before you can even move on to try and replace it? I I absolutely love the questions you're asking. So there are definitely many camps in this, right? And so, you know, Rob from New York that now lives in Italy is is (laughs) in the camp of, you know what, let's recognize it, but we don't have to understand the source of it. And this this is why for me. So one of the things that you you mentioned in, in the bio that you read is, you know, the cost-benefit ratio of actions, right? Mm-hmm. So the question that's more important, in my opinion, is, okay, this discomfort, this disease. And so let me just go back for a second because 
we're talking about a piece on a, on a long string, and part of that, let's say, chain, the, the end result is the thing that's most important. So when you recognize, you know what, I, I'm just, I don't feel satisfied in my life, or I keep thinking that there's got to be something more than this, first, we go all the way in a way to an endpoint. We have to daydream a little bit about that endpoint. Well, what is it that you see that would be more fulfilling, um, that would make you feel, they call it ikigai in Japan, you know, the reason to get up in the morning and just be really excited. So when you have that, then you reverse engineer back, and you have to understand what are the behaviors you need to employ to get rid of the old behaviors and you to that new thing. So the question that, that you just asked now is that, while it is important to recognize that behavior, the real question, in my opinion, is what is that behavior costing you? And in a way, the only way you can understand is what is that behavior costing you is when you have an idea of what the other side of the coin looks like, that side that is fulfilling or um, invigorating, that, that image and, you know, you can think of vision boards of visualization, and I think these are all great tools because they help you stay in that, you know, frame of mind, but that's when you can actually see the cost. And so, of course, once you see a cost in the behavior, you're not so interested in trying to figure out why, because it's still costing you money every single day. It's costing you energy. Once you recognize the cost, you want to say, hmm, I don't want to keep spending that. And I, I joke all the time about, you know, I, I have all these different metaphors in my mind. So, you know, deep toll booths in our life, we pay with our energy. We pay with our precious time because we don't know how long we're all going to be here. So as we are, once we have that image in front of us, we could say, wow, this is a toll that I have to stop paying because it's the wrong road. And that is where I believe our attention should go, and that's why I'm on that side of the fact of, yes, it's important to understand it in the way. You know, let's, let's acknowledge it. But we can't get there, and we never really can. We can, of course. There's, there's lots of therapies that could bring us all the way back and try to figure out where it's, it's come from. But the question today is, what's more important to you? to build a road going forward and replacing that, that habit or first understand the habit came from. Now, there is definitely people that are listening to this and people that are in the area of therapy and psychology will say, well, then, you know, you can have a relapse and a fall backwards. That mm -hmm. is very true, but that's part of what has to be built into the strategy of going forward. So, for me, it's not necessarily understanding the why as much as it's understanding the trigger. What triggers that type of behavior? And how can you redefine that trigger? You know, for me, when I, I, I was a kid, because of, you know, what was happening in my um, there were triggers that I carried for a while. And then I just said, okay, well, you know what? I def my, my environment defined the trigger but I can ignore that trigger or I could change that trigger. So when I would feel fear, what I started telling myself is, oh, I'm afraid. That means I have to step it up. Or I'm afraid. That means this is something very important to me. And I was able to redefine what those things meant and gave them new triggers. And that's why for me it's the action side more than the archaeological side. Yeah. Okay. So when when you um, and, and I understand, you know, the idea of you know having that endpoint um, in mind and then kind of working backwards in order to you know define a path toward it. Um, now, I have a couple of questions. First of all. Um, some people may have difficulty in 
defining that endpoint. You know, if one has lived with a particular um, story, you know, with, with its associated trigger for a very long time, um, it can be very difficult to um, identify, you know, anything else otherwise. And, you know, even um, what it is I want, you know, the, the, the fact that I'm uncomfortable with something, um, you know, the fact that there's this trigger, um, but boy, what does, what does, you know, what does life look like without it? Um, you know, so for, for people who may have difficulty in identifying, you know, that positive, um, endpoint, you know, that they want to work toward, is, is it, um, how can one uh, open up to the idea that there are, there is possibility, you know, other than what one is living? Okay. So, uh, again, an another great question, and thank you for the call out with possibility. But, so, I, I, I am going to, actually, this, this is just, it's, it's so great, because one of the I, I wish we were on video because sitting next to me is a kaleidoscope, <laughs> um, uh -huh. and I, I have a kaleidoscope with me all the time um, because it's all about possibility, right? And what makes us look into a kaleidoscope is curiosity. So what you just mentioned right now, you know, every the life we have, we imagined part of it in our brains way back when. I mean, every, everything really, you know, I forget who it was. Maybe it was, um, it was Einstein that says everything comes from our imagination. I, I don't remember who it is. But that process of, well, I don't know what it would be like. And here's a funny thing. Because I knew, I, I knew my wife's life um, was going to run out. At, at some point mm -hmm. in time, um, though I didn't really know when, and they had given me a three-year life expectancy, and she lived for 11. At some point in time, we believed it would become chronic, but I decided to somewhat live the life, her life for her. So whenever we would entertain, we would entertain with her friends instead of my friends, so I wanted her to have the maximum experience of all that, right? One of the things she loved was Indian food. And soon after she passed away, friends asked me if I wanted to go out to dinner, and they're like, we'll go for Indian. And all of a sudden, it just came up that, you know what, I don't even like Indian food. And so what I'm, I'm trying to get at here is we might not know the end result, but we need to be curious about what it is we like, what we would like. And the big process at the beginning is daydreaming. You know, we tried, as adults, we're like, oh, I have to figure out what that end result is. Start off with mm -hmm. daydreaming and what could be. Look, I, I live in Italy. Was it on my map? No, it wasn't on my map at all. Uh, it was a childhood dream, really, because I grew up as an, an Italian-American. And then after Desiree passed away and I was looking at rebuilding my life, I said to myself, you know what? What's the crazy story that could come from this? This this loss of, you know, my purpose at that point, what would be an amazing story? And that's the question. Just be curious. What would be that life you want to live? Now, all things are impossible. We all have financial, you know, um, type of restriction. Uh, we have family restrictions. We have health restrictions. There are lots of things that you work with. But the initial point is why not just ask that question? What would be a story I would want to live? What, is, what, what do I want to look back on? That's really the whole thing. For me, the character that I play in my life is I want to be the explorer. That, that is my, let's say, my definition. And it's self-exploration. It's life exploration. You used a great word before. You said try and you said oh i don't i don't mean try and <laughs> it is because try has become a dirty word when we say try we've, we've already accepted the reasons why it might not work uh, i'll try 
Right. Well, let's change that, right? Let's think about attempt. And so my whole life is about the story I want to look back on, the example I want to leave is somebody that attempted. Does that mean I'm going to hit a home run every time? Definitely not. Um, are failures really failures? We could have a, a, a big discussion about that as well because we don't know what the ripple effects are of any of our actions at the moment. So, again, I tend to be very verbose, but I, I like to bring in all the different colors, right? Um, again, sort of the kaleidoscope thing. I, I do think that way. I'm all spherical. But at the end of the day, anyone that is listening here is if you're not sure of what that other side of the coin looks like, what is the story you want to live, just start to daydream about it a little bit. What would be some cool things I, I would like to do? You know, is it, you know, people look at me and they're like, well, I just can't get up and move to Italy. My moving to Italy was a change in my mindset. That's the thing. That's what's going to change everything. That's what changes the story. That what, that's what changes the narrative is the shift in mindset, not the shift in location. So as you start to look forward and you think that person you admire and all those other things, you'd be surprised at how quickly those things start to, to fit together. And you won't have a clear image. And I still don't have a clear image, but I know the personality or the character I want to play in my story. Yeah, okay, so, well, we're a little past halfway through the show, so I'm going to take just a quick 90-second break. And then when we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about that, you know, the idea of, of shifting perspectives and um, that kind of thing, okay? Perfect. Great. Okay, everyone stay tuned. We'll be right back after this brief break. Hello, this is Robert Sharp. I want to thank you for joining us, and I hope that you are enjoying today's show. Just a reminder that we have a wealth of information and resources available on our website, byteradio.me. There is a calendar of upcoming shows, along with an archive link that will give you access to more than 1,600 shows that we have had during the past 12 years. Also on the site is a link to the products and services we provide, books, nature photography, calendars, and 5 by 7 photo greeting cards. Our show is a free podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and TuneIn. And you can subscribe for free on any of those platforms by using the links on our website homepage. We are on social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, etc. And we also have buttons to those platforms on the top of our homepage. Our website, byteradio.me, has much for you to explore and enjoy. I also very much appreciate you supporting our guests, and especially today's guest. And now, back to the show. Okay, everyone, thank you for staying with us again today. My special guest joining us from Italy is Robert Party. And we're talking about his work as well as his book, Possibility in Action, A Journey to an Intentional Life. Um, you can find out more by visiting Robert's website, which is www.robertparty.com. That's Robert, P-A-R-D-I.com. Okay, with that, we're back, Rob. Great to be back. Great. Great. Thank you. So um, now I want, you know, you had mentioned um, a bit about the shift in perspective. And, and during the first half, you mentioned, um, you know, that $8 an hour teaching English, you know, one way of looking at it, you know, oh, my God, what am I doing versus, oh, my God, what an opportunity. Um, so in, in your book, you have musings, um, you know, you basically have a list of like week one, you know, future self, week two, initial draft. So there are these different musings um, that you have listed in, in weeks. Um, first of all, why did you, did you do it in this, obviously it's a year long kind of thing, is it the idea to focus on one per week? Exactly. So, you know, 
we tend to want instant results, right? Like if Amazon doesn't, you know, deliver our package in 15 <laughs> minutes soon, we're all going to be very upset. But the thing is, this is part of the habit to build is the habit of self-exploration. And so the reason for the 52 weeks is that each week you are reflecting on an idea, a concept. It's They're, they're not lessons. They're some, you know, crazy New York City kid that lives in Italy and <laughs> sees all these things in life and uses them as metaphors, like I was talking about the toll booth, right? Um, there's one about the Black Panther. Uh, there, there are all these different ideas. And what we want to do in terms of, and you used a word before at the very beginning, I think you used the word shake up. We <laughs> want to shake up that habitual thinking. And you haven't really ever sat at a toll booth and thought about, wow, what are the toll booths in life? And so that would be amusing. And I call them musings because there's, um, and this is something I learned in Italy, you know, the muses, which the, the Greeks talked about and so forth, they, there was a different word um, or defin, different definition of genius in the Roman times. And that was that you were actually gifted things from the muses. So I like the idea of musing just mm -hmm. as a metaphor. And therefore, that's why the 52 weeks. So each week you are reflecting on a story that's somewhat unusual. You could think of it as a Buddhist cone, which they used as well in, in their temples. And you're reflecting on something that's really somewhat ambiguous, but yet is provocative in terms of, hmm, I never thought about that before. And then you could start to think about yourself in that. And each week there's a, there's a bunch of journaling prompts. Okay. So, yeah, and, and I like the idea that it gets the mind um, prepared for the idea that it's not going to be, a, you know, a, a you know, quick and easy process, you know, or quick process, I should say, you know, the ease can, is dependent on the individual, you know, as far as, you know, how one can um, quickly, you know, drop the programming or, or shift perspective and, and be open up to different possibilities. Um, so, you know, I think that's a, a, a wonderful way. Now, um, when, when it comes time to shifting perspective um you know i let's see here um with when it comes to the idea that are there are different possibilities you know there are different um ways that we can different routes that we can travel you know that there are you know there's uh, and, and it's based on on our choices when it comes to opening up to the idea that you know there are different, there can be a different perspective, or one can hold a different perspective, um, you know, I, I know quite a few people who have set in their mind that there aren't a whole lot of possibilities, that, that basically what they are living and what they believe in um, is kind of set, kind of set in, you know, that's that's just the way I am, or that was just the way that I was raised. Um, you know, so when it comes time to um, opening up to possibilities or recognizing that there is even potential different perspectives that one can hold, um, is is how how can um, how can one you know shift from that? I mean, is it you know that daydreaming kind of thing that we bring in, or you know because you know it, sometimes it, it can be it can seem that we are destined you know in a way to to live out our life as we see it right now, right in this particular moment in time. So true. So, so true. And, and, and the thing is, of course, this, this type of strategy or perspective shifting, 
it doesn't work for everyone, right? Because it, it is something that also, let's say, you need to be um, more open to it. But so, first of all, the idea of I, I, I was born this way. You know, the first point that comes up in that is you weren't born that way. You were fashioned that way. That, that, that's a creation based on environment, based on a whole bunch of different things. So you were molded, let's say, from like a block of clay, but mm-hmm. that's the shape you currently have now, but you're still the clay. And part of the other side of that is understanding the whole idea of impermanence and, and life may end. So if this is the, if the way you are experiencing life today, is not the way you want to experience life. That then opens up, okay, so how do we shift perspective? Like you were talking about, you know, these 52 weeks, they're there just to make you think differently because the whole idea of shifting perspective means you have to have new thoughts. That's really what it comes down to. And we do grow up in a society that somewhat focuses on lack. Um, but again, a lot of that has to comes down to you know we, we do focus a lot of it on money in the United States and, and everything else. Well, what is it that's important to you as well? You know, the perspective shift is not just one day you're going to read something and all of a sudden you see something different. It's all tied together because when you start to understand more of what the story is you would like to live and what the idea of success is to you and everything else and you start to then question some of the things you've been saying to yourself, that is where the shift takes place. And so what you were saying right now in terms of, you know, some people just feel that they they were born that way or they they were destined to be that way, I would challenge that as a coach, and I would say, do you really think that who you are right now is your core essence, or can you step into the curiosity of that you assimilated all of this, not as part of your choice, because when we're young, we're just absorbing everything. And we don't even have necessarily the capability when we're seven years old to start to make sort of, let's say, conscious choices. It's all just coming in. And so... If someone can sit there and say, you know what, maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe I'm not destined to be this way, but this is how I've been my whole life. Well, once you say maybe, you've now Mm -hmm. opened the door to possibilities because then you could start to look at things a little different. And like you said, you know, you use the word easy, and it's funny because I, I don't use easy, I don't use difficult. I use, it is what it is, Right. So your your life will not change overnight. It it would be great if there was a magic pill that would do that, but it isn't. But here's the question. Do you want to be the sculptor of your life? And I always use the word of sculpt um, because I think it's extremely important. Because when there's a block of marble, the sculptor doesn't hit it once and a beautiful statue pops out. Every day the sculptor has to labor, take some stuff away, make a shape here, turn the block, look at it, think about it. It's a process. And that's the whole thing about, you know, life is a journey, right? So if you want to step into being the craftsperson, don't focus on the end result because we don't know when our time is up. So can you make today really intriguing for yourself that you're building that beautiful sculpture out of your life? That's the big perspective shift. Yeah, and and kind of continuing on with the metaphor, if if we get to a point where we've sculpted um, an image or, or sculpted a, a product um, and we don't like it, then we just go back to the chisel and change what it is. There you go. So yeah. we... we we change over time as well, right? I, as, mm-hmm. as a 25-year-old New York City kid that was investment banking, could I ever ever said, oh, I want to go live in a town of 900 people in the middle of Italy and, 
you know, one-tenth of what I could make on Wall Street. <laughs> of, you know, no, I, I couldn't have seen that. But your, your, your values, your passions, all those things change. That's why the self-awareness is very important because you may have started off like thinking that you were going to, you know, create a palm tree as a sculpt sculpture and halfway through mm -hmm. you're like hey you know what no i actually want it to be a little different then there's the curiosity in front of hmm, how do i make it that way and that's where you start to find this internal sense of motivation because when you accept the and the word calling is is is, is a tough word because people you put a lot of, on that but you are called to make something out of your life that doesn't mean we go be a Greta Thunberg and we're all saving the environment. It could be cooking mm -hmm. a, a meal for your family. It's, you know, but the thing is, do you want to show up in that moment offering your best, which sometimes may be 10% and sometimes may be 100%. Our best is flexible. We're not machines. But that makes it all fulfilling because we're in that creation point all the time. Yeah, yeah. You know, one of the things I liked, especially with with your your book and and the concepts that you put forth, is the idea. You know, when it's possibility and action, um, action aspect. You know, to me, there um, are so many people who look to have something different happen, but. They want it to they want it to be an external kind of uh, process, you know, where you know, I want it to happen, but I want it, you know, I don't have to do anything, you know, to, to achieve that. And and you know, with, with your um, approach, you know, action is a critical part of the process of achieving that. Well, if you. So the example you just used, right, so many of us want something to fall, fall out of the sky, and it would be wonderful. And it does happen for some people. It does seem to happen for some people. I will definitely put a check mark next to that. But the thing is, what what is a possibility, right? A, pos a possibility is something that you see and you could bring into your reality. But if we don't take action, it just remains a wish. And so that's why I'm very focused on the action. We are possibility in and of itself, first of all. And we shouldn't just be sitting on, on a sofa all day. We should be in action. But then as well, there are all these possibilities around us. And this is something that I learned through my wife's work in palliative care, through having been a volunteer in a chemotherapy center as well while she was going through everything she was going through, is how many people arrive at the end of their lives with regrets. And the mm -hmm. regrets come from having seen possibility and not have taken action. And so that's part, again, if you look at that end story and there's all the daydreaming, you know, do you want to reduce the number of regrets you'll have. For me personally, because I am that explorer, every day I'm trying to build something or learn something or do something, or whatever the case is, I'm always in action. And I feel like, well, if tomorrow's my, my you know, so death comes knocking on the door, I'll be like, hey, okay, <laughs> I'm here, I'm having a party, and if, if the party's over, okay. <laughs> I'm not waiting for the right moment. And so... That's why the action is so important because it's so uncomfortable because we want the right moment. We want to know it's going to work out. We want to reduce fear. But it's just like, you know, if you're afraid of public speaking, until you take action and get on the stage, you're always going to have that fear because you can't learn about it. You can't read about it. And that's one of the things I say in Possibility in Action. All the ancient philosophers gave advice, but they didn't say, read a 100,000 books and then you'll be ready. They said, read this book and take what you find useful and put it into action. Yeah. 
Yeah. It, you know, that's that's the one thing. And, you know, the actions quite often are um, based on choices that we make. I mean, recognizing that we have a choice, you know, in our, you know, in virtually everything we do, um, but that, you know, that making a choice and taking action is is what kind of sets the it's the idea of what we put our attention and action to is what we will see happen. One hundred percent. And just what you said right now in terms of choice, right? Um, we we can't choose the things that happen. Let's say a pandemic, my wife passing away, mm-hmm. the loss of a job, you know, the banking situation that's happening right at the moment, you know, as we're talking in the U.S. Um, but we have the choice of how we respond. And this is something that has been echoed throughout time. And Viktor Frankl's book is the one that most people refer to, A Man's Search for Meaning, in a concentration camp, loses his whole family, nearly dies a few times, and he creates a basically branch of psychology out of that to help people bring meaning to their lives. And so, and his thing was, once you know you have meaning, you can basically sustain everything. It's um, Nietzsche's, you know, um, basically, you know, once you know your why type thing. And so, what, what you're just saying now, and anyone that's listening here, there, there's a lot of stuff that we don't want in our lives. 100% 100% sure. Um, but how can we use it instead of it using us? And that's right. the perspective shift that opens everything. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, kind of even harkening back to the idea of being raised, you know, in, a, in an abusive alcoholic family. You know, how can one, you know, use that situation to, um, you know, live a better life, you know, and one that does not, you know, um, does not kind of fall into victimhood kind of thing. Yes. You know, I, 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 I say, first of all, I am very thankful for the way I grew up, and people hear that and they're like, he's out of his mind. But it made me who I am today. And here's something that I would leave, and it would be a whole other discussion, right, but I'll, I'll leave with your listeners, is really sit and ask yourself, are you happy with who you are? Because if you can answer yes, you have to thank every single thing that's happened in your life. We tend to have, you know, Oprah talks about it, everybody else talks about the gratitude journal and the three great things that have happened We have to actually be grateful for the bad things as well because they made us who we are. If we can say, I'm happy with who I am. If you can't say yes, that's your motivation to say, well, what do I need to change? So what you were talking about earlier in terms of, you know, sort of that self-awareness, the question, how we started this whole show, there's another question that sort of says, okay, no, you know what? I'm not happy with who I am or the way I approach life. Um, that's under my control. Yeah, yeah. You know, the I, I, I also grew up in an Italian family with an alcoholic father, an Italian <laughs> mother. Uh, um, and she, you know, I often said that I had the best teacher and negativity. Uh, my mother would she would she could find the negative in anything, <laughs> and um, you know, and, and for years and years and years, it, it was to me it was it was like you know fingernails on a chalkboard. It, it, it just you know grated at me, you know, and and it wasn't until you know when I started this you know show like uh, twelve years, thirteen years ago that I you know I recognized that you know that was a, that is what put me on the path to um, making sure that I express positivity, I look for the positive, you know, that I, you know, so, I mean, it was one of those things. Uh, again, it was it was 
great training, but it was, you know, to the point of recognizing, you know, what it was that I did not want in my life, you know, what, what you know, and so I can, I can spot, you know, negativity um, crop, cropping into my life quickly. You know, and and then now can you know shift that, but but um, but those are sometimes hard tapes to you know re-record, you know, to erase and record over. For sure, and that is such a great call out because you had an example of what you didn't want to be, just like I had an example that I didn't want to be like my father. So those those things, like you said, those those are hard tape tapes to rewrite. If you I use this example all the time. If you drive on a paved road to wherever you need to go, it's smooth, there's no friction, there's no whatever. If you know you can save 20 minutes by driving through a wheat field, you're not going to do it because it's extremely uncomfortable. But if you kept driving through the wheat field day after day after day after day, a path would form Mm -hmm. that would be smooth. That's neuroplasticity. All of what we're talking about is actually proven, you know, neuroscientists have shown we can rewrite the programming in our brain. And one of the most amazing things I've ever read is if you've had a traumatic experience and you recall it, let's say it's on the left side of your brain, but if you start to recall it and you add laughter, humor, and levity, They've shown through, you know, the, the MRIs that it's recorded on the other side of your brain. Yeah, and that's wow. more plasticity. That's changing that story. Yeah, absolutely. That's that chemical aspect of, you know, of uh, what we experience. Now, we're down toward the end of the show here, but yep. I, there was one other thing that I wanted to um, point out that this struck me as something for um, – the listeners might want to consider, and that was um, in the book you had mentioned. Talked about we're talking about life and work balance. You know that that whole concept of having balance between one's work life and personal life, you know, can be challenging. And in the book you had indicated that it doesn't exist. So, but but harmony does. So, can you talk a little bit of just you know kind of briefly, but um, sure, about the no. idea of those who try to work work that balance. What, what, yes, uh, and I'll, as, as quickly as possible. So, so balance sort of sound, it, it's, you know, something equanimous in terms of, you know, all the buckets are, are filled to a certain extent. So your family bucket, your career bucket, your this bucket, your that bucket. But mm-hmm. it's very hard because we have limited time, we have limited energy, we have all that stuff. The searching for balance, in my opinion, is very exhausting. What you want to make sure is that your life is harmonious. And so whether it's sometimes you're spending, you know, as a somebody that has their own business, right, sometimes I'm spending 18 hours a day on one side of my business, but yet I have created this flow in my life of it all works together. I'm not sacrificing one thing for another. I'm trying to understand how it all mixes together. So the the reason I use harmony instead of balance is because there will always be the the imbalances, let's say, in terms of where energy or um, finances or whatever the case is goes. But what you want it all to do is move like a nice flowing river all together in the same direction. That's that's a wonderful visual, you know. And for people who are, are struggling, you know, or to quote have that balance. I think it's um it's a wonderful shift in perspective that can just release the the stress and the the angst over, you know, quote achieving that balance. I agree. <laughs> yeah. Good. Well, Robert, this has really been a, a delight and I really want to thank you for your time today. I've enjoyed our conversation. I've enjoyed being on your show so much, so thank you. You're very welcome. Uh, Again, everyone, today my special guest has been Robert Party, connecting with us from Italy. Uh, We've been talking about his book, Possibility in Action, A Journey 
to an intentional life. And again, you can find out more about all that Rob has to offer by visiting his website, which is www.robertparty.com. That's Robert, P-A-R-D-I.com. And everyone, I want to thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. And until we meet again, thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Remember, our show is available as a free podcast from Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Apple Podcasts, Blog Talk Radio, Amazon Music, and Audible. To follow our show on any of those platforms, visit ByteRadio.me and select the one you use most. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ByteRadioMe. Until we meet again, Remember to be a bright light by bringing inspiration to your world and to the lives of those you touch.